I want to talk this morning, I want to start off by talking to parents this morning. How many parents are in the room? Would you just raise your hand? A lot of parents. You can tell this if you go to the kids area. There are a lot of kids. So many kids. And, and, and parents, man, those of you that raise your hands, I'm a parent too. Um, you, are, you are my hero. I am off-center. I did that to myself. You are my hero because, because parenting, I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderfully excruciating <laughs> being a parent, right? I mean, it's, it's great. Do I, do I love my kids most when they are asleep? Yes, but that's not the point. Don't judge me because you don't live in my house. I love my kids, man. Um, we, we've got three and one on the way. Lex is nine. He just turned nine. And, and he's, he's great. He's real stubborn, but he's awesome, you know. We've got Cole, who's six. He's a ball of emotion. And most of it is anger and rage. I don't know where he gets that from. He comes by it perfectly honestly. Let me, let me, let me tell you. Um, Ava's two, and she's into everything. Dear Lord, she is into everything. We never had that with the two boys. But we can't turn her back. She was she she grabbed knives the other day and was just clinging them together. I'm like, oh God, stop! I can't turn you can't turn your back for a second. We've got one on the way. A little boy. He's coming in January. His name's going to be Truett. Uh, Truett Gray Butcher. He's coming uh, soon. It's like a coming attraction, right? I don't know. We know how it works. If you ever wondered, we know how that happens. And so we've got four, and yeah, we 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 planned on that. Well, the thing about being a parent, man, is that you learn a lot being a parent. You learn a lot about the dark places of the soul. <laughs> As a, as a parent, you know, one of my greatest frustrations right now, being a being a dad, being a parent of, of little kids, is is bedtime. Bedtime. Bedtime will will drive you crazy. Bedtime. Putting kids to bed is it's hard to express um, to those of you who don't have kids what it's like trying to put kids to bed. I mean, it's so difficult to get these little humans to shut off and power down. It's, 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 it's tough, man. It's like at the mention of bed, there are screams of agony and terror. It's like, it's like when I say, time for bed, they hear, time to die. <laughs> Hey guys, daddy's going to put you to bed. No, no, they don't hear that. They hear, hey guys, daddy's going to cut off your head. <laughs> there are, there's just screams and agony and, and horror at the idea of going to bed. And the best excuse that my kids have ever come up with, and maybe, maybe you can identify with this. Have your kids ever said this? I'm too tired. <laughs> Son, your logic is not good. <laughs> There's a routine to go to bed, right? There's a routine to try to get kids in the bed. You know what I mean? There's steps that you've got to take. Step one, bath time. And bath time is completely optional depending on how tired you are. You know what I mean? Like, hey, we went to the beach today. Sand, salt, they're good, right? They're, they're clean. We played in the hose. They don't need to take a bath. I'm tired. I just want to be free. So skip bath time. So bath time is completely optional. Step two, pajamas. Pajamas, like go get your pajamas on. I don't know how, son. You have two legs. The pants have two legs. How are you going to make it in life? What are you doing? Pajama time also always equals nudity time in the butcher house. 
boys streaking across upstairs, running around. It's like, son, no, please stop. Put the clothes back on. You know? It's, it, and they're picking out pajamas. That's an ordeal unto itself. You know, I'm sorry, the ones you've worn for the last 17 nights are dirty. We've got to wash them, bro. They're standing up on their own. After you get pajamas on, step three, teeth brushing, which in some countries is recognized as torture, trying to get kids to brush their teeth. You're not a parent if you've never had this thought while you're trying to get your kids to brush your teeth. I'm, I'm wasting my time. They're going to fall out anyway. <laughs> Lex, has, Lex has two right here at the bottom. This is two, only two permanent ones he's got. I'm like, Lex, just brush these two and we're done, bro. Just, just take care of those two and we can, we, can, we can move on to step four. Just falling out anyway, you know. Step four is story time. Like bath time, it's completely optional. If you're tired, if you're done with the day, you just skip story time and move straight into step five, which is prayer. Prayer time. They're in the bed, you've got them tucked in, and it's prayer. And you know that freedom is right on the other side of amen. <laughs> so sometimes prayer time is really fast and short. And it's like, we got short prayer tonight, guys, right? Short prayer. Why are we doing a short prayer? Because daddy's done. I'm over the day, and I just want to be free. If you don't, you if you don't have kids, you don't understand what it's like when you finally get to shut that door, <laughs> which is, is kind of like step six, like the lights, a little bit more light, little crack, daddy, a little bit more light. No, 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 no. Just go to bed, son. <laughs> Deal with the light later. Freedom on the other side of that door. It's it's kind of like it's it's like I'm alive again. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I can breathe. I, I forgot that I was a human. Oh, this is, whoa, this is awesome. But the worst part of bedtime is still coming up. And this is what I've discovered being a parent now for nine years. The worst part is after you get the door closed. Once you get the door closed, inevitably three to five minutes after you're free and you thought you were done and I thought I was finished and I thought it was over and I thought I could sit on the couch and have fun with my wife, but no. You hear, Dad! Mom! What, son? Can I have a drink of water? <laughs> I'm done. Go. You, if, you, if, I, if I go, there will be one less child. We'll be, we will still be a family of five. We will not be a family of six if I go there. you got to take care of this. It's the all-important drink of water. It's like, I can't get you to drink water any other time of day. But when it's bedtime and you're, you're supposed to be going to sleep, you've got to have this cup of water. It's like, okay. So uh, I'm like, all right. It, it, it is in these moments where I am not proud of the way I have responded as a dad, but I will share it publicly. <laughs> dad! Son! Swallow your saliva! <laughs> you ever said that? Think of candy, juices flowing, swallow! Done. But inevitably, you go up, give them a little cup of water. And, and this happens, man, this drives me crazy. It's like you give them a little cup of water, and they're like, oh, thanks. I'm done. Here you go. No, no, no. 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 You're guzzling a son. Drink it all. No, daddy, please stop. No, you're going to drink it all. Got you this cup of water. I, I, you don't pray for me. 
just letting you inside the world I live in. I'm not proud of that, but it's like, son, multitask. You were just in the bathroom. Water, faucet, stick your head under there and get a drink. Come on, think ahead. Plan ahead, son. Multitask. Anyway, this brings us to God. Here's the really cool thing about God, okay? What does this all mean? Here's a really cool thing about God. Here's the awesome thing about God. Whatever is big to you is big to God. Whatever matters to you matters to God. So you will never hear God respond to you when you approach him about something as insignificant as a drink of water that in his eyes is completely insignificant and 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 the equivalent of how you feel when your kid asks you for a sip of water you will never hear god say son daughter swallow your saliva <laughs> because god will not do that god will god will not look at us and say get a grip get some perspective here this isn't a big deal Deal with it on your own. No, God will be involved and God will be concerned and God will care. And this is the amazing thing about God, which brings us to the subject of generosity and money. Is money a big deal to God? Absolutely, unequivocally, no. Cash, bank accounts, stocks, investments, retirement, is that a big deal to God? No. Scripture says that he owns everything, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Money does not matter in the least to God. Does money matter to you? Oh, yeah. And if you say no, you are lying. (laughs) You are lying if you say it doesn't matter to you. It is impossible to fathom the number of times that we think about money any given day. It is constantly the worry and the stress and the, and the anxiety that comes along. Whether you've got a lot of money or not a lot of money, we all experience worry and, 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 and stress about our finances. So because it matters to you, it matters to God. It's a big deal to Him how you think about your finances, your philosophy, the emotions that you feel about your money matter to God. He's concerned about those. He's concerned about your fear. He's concerned about your worry. And he wants to to give us a new way of thinking about our money. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The reason we're going to talk about that this morning is because we're at the end of the church I see. The last statement in the church I see, check this out on the screen with me. It goes like this. It says, it says, the church I see is a generous church. So consumed with its mission to point those far from God to life in Jesus that its people will count whatever the cost and pay whatever the price to see salvation sweep this region. One, one last thing before we really dive into the topic of generosity. Anytime a preacher like myself approaches the subject of money, immediately walls go up. And and, and rightfully so, okay? There's been a lot of people, a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors who have said some very abusive and manipulative things about money to get something from the people that are listening to them. I understand that. I've sat where you've sat. I've heard those messages too. I want you to know something today. This is not about getting something from you, but more so getting something to you. A new way to think about money. God's way to think about generosity. 
If you have a Bible, open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be there. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it because we'll have the, the scriptures on the big screen right behind my head. They're also printed on the back of the program that you received when you came in. While some of you are turning there or pulling it up on your phone, if you have a smartphone, that's cool. Let me give you a little context of what's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is written by a guy named Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul, Paul had, had helped plant this church in Corinth and he's writing to them and he's talking to them and there's this Jesus community there in this city and when you think about Corinth, it's kind of like the combination of, of New York City, Vegas, and Hollywood. It's the city that never sleeps and the party never stops, okay? It's just, it's just there's, a, there's a lot of distractions and temptations for people in Corinth. Now, the economy at this point in history is booming in Corinth. People are making a lot of money. And the Jesus community in Corinth heard that there was a famine in the Jerusalem area and that the Jesus community in Jerusalem was struggling financially. They were, they were finding it difficult to, to do the ministry that God had given them. So the Gentile believers in Corinth have this idea that they share with Paul. Paul, we want to take up an offering. We want to we give to the church in Jerusalem because God has blessed us with more than we need. And so we want to give to them. And in chapter 7, 8, and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is addressing this idea. This idea of giving money to the Jerusalem church. The Corinthians had it in their heart to give. And so, so Paul is, is giving them some instructions. He's giving them some, some details. If you want to do this, that, that, that's great. No pressure. I'm not going to force you to do it. This was your idea. And if you want to do it, here's, here's how to do it. And these three chapters that Paul writes represent so much of what God wants for us when we think about money, because before you make it and before you use it, certainly before you spend it, it's a good idea to understand how God wants you to think about it, because there's a particular way God wants you and I to think about our money. So Paul says, listen, I'm going to send, send you some guys. They're going to help you get organized. I'm going to send you, you know, Tony, Neil and Leroy. They're going to take care of this. They're not going to pressure you. They're not going to manipulate you. They're there to help organize this idea that you've had to take up this offering. And so that's where we're at. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Look at this with me. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, Paul uses a very popular analogy when he begins talking about finances, this idea of sowing and reaping or, or planting and harvesting. It's this, it's this analogy from the world of agriculture. Many of us didn't grow up in an agricultural family or an agricultural society, so this is a little bit foreign to us, but we do get the idea of planting seed into the ground and something growing up out of it. Now, We've been taught by, again, like I said, walls go up because we've heard so many people try to manipulate us, that if we sow money, we'll reap money. And what I want to tell you this morning, it is way more profound and bigger than the simple transaction. It's so much bigger than that. You see, the common way that we think about money, we use words like earning 
and and saving and spending and investing. We use we use words like that, but Paul says there is a higher way to think about your money. There's there's something more powerful than earning. There's something more powerful than saving, more powerful than spending, and even more powerful than investing. Paul says when you think about your money, you need to think about sowing. You need to think about planting. He says the single most powerful thing you can do with your money is to plant it, is to sow it. And this is fundamentally different than how we are taught to view money in our American kind of society. We are consumers. We consume everything that we take in. It's all for us. It's all about us. And, and, and we decide what we spend. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to church, when you put money towards that, Paul says you're not spending it. I've never spent money in church. I've only planted it. I've only sowed it. And when I sow it, I can expect a harvest because I've planted it. You see, like, like I said, we're, we're consumers. When we get our paycheck at the end of the week or the beginning of the week or the end of the month, whenever you get paid, what do you immediately start thinking about? Rent, mortgage, however, whatever kind of house you live in, car payment, uh, food, groceries, taxes maybe, uh, entertainment, movies, vacation, retirement, all of these things. And, and, and a Jewish understanding of money is not that at all. A Jewish understanding, what Paul is telling us here, is to think of money like seed. And what we are prone to do in America is we are prone to eat all of our seed. We consume it all. But Jew, Jewish people know that you cannot eat all of your seed. You have to plant some of it back into the ground. If you eat all of your seed, you'll have nothing to eat when you've eaten it all. In America, that's what we do, right? Like, like that's how we're taught. That's how we're taught to think about money. And Paul says, I don't want you to think about money that way. And God's saying, look, I want you to think of where can you plant it. And if you'll change the way you think about money, if you think planting, if you think sowing, if you think reaping, you will fundamentally change your life. And the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the stress that you feel all of a sudden will begin to dissipate and disappear. Now, this is also different than investing. Investing is a good idea. Investing is a wise decision that you can make with your money. But listen to me. Investing is I'm going to give my money to this so that I can make more money. Sowing is I'm going to give my money to this so I can see something grow. So I can see changed lives. It's fundamentally different. Investing's not bad. Earning's not bad. Spending's not bad. Saving's not bad. None of it's, I'm not saying any of that's bad, but we have to think first and foremost, sowing, planting. I'm not going to eat all of my seed. And Paul says, when you sow, he's emphatic about this. It is a, it, it, it is, it is, the language is like, bam, when you sow, you will reap. When you invest, you might win, you might lose. When you sow, Paul says, you can, you can take, you can guarantee it. You will reap a harvest because you put seed into the ground. Verse 7, he keeps on going. He says, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart. We're taught in budget classes to make decisions with our head, right? 
I've, I, listen, I love Dave, and Dave doesn't. Dave gets like misrepresented. Dave Ramsey, he gets misrepresented because people interpret him wrong. He he would he would agree with what I'm saying. Uh, we we think head. I've got to make decisions with my head. Paul says when it comes to your money, you've got to get your heart involved. You've got to get your heart involved. Because sometimes when God speaks to you to tell you to plant something in the ground, it is illogical. It doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it's like God is telling me to do this. Paul says, decide in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I don't feel manipulated. I'm not, I don't, I'm not reluctant, but this doesn't make sense on the spreadsheet, but I still think God is telling me to do it. And so God is speaking to my heart and my hands are opening up. In God's economy, life is many times illogical. It doesn't make sense because Jesus is not about the confirmation of what you know, but the transformation of who you are. He's not concerned with confirming what you think in your head. He's concerned with transforming what is in your heart. And so, so Paul says we have to make these decisions in our heart with no trickery, no guilt. Nobody showing, you know, videos of kids who are starving to death to make you feel guilty and feel really bad about what you have so you'll give. It's not about being, not about feeling com- compelled, not about feeling, uh, co- you know, manipulated or, or tricked or, or guilt. There's no pressure here. When Paul talks about taking up this offering for the Jerusalem church, he says there's no pressure here. You're not pressured to conform. This, this community is not built on conformity. This is not about, about conforming. It's about transforming. Listen, conformity is not Christianity. Jesus isn't about everybody conform or you're out. No. No, it's not, it's not about that. Jesus wants to transform your heart because this whole thing, uh, our whole belief system is built on a living God who can touch you in the core of who you are and transform you from the inside out. And when he speaks to your heart, your hands will open up. And it happens every time. When your heart is touched, your hands open. Think about relationships. Think about marriage. Think about friendships. When you're fr- when, when you have a friend who is at the the the, the, the you know the, the center of your heart that, that you have a relationship with and they are in need, you're not being manipulated. You're not feeling you know tricked. No, no, no. My you have touched my heart, so my hands are open to you. And that's what Paul is telling us here. And, and the warning is this: the warning is this: when your hand is being pried open, but your heart has not been touched, what is that? That's manipulation. That's trickery, and that's the beginnings of a very good cult. I don't, God, I don't want to get, I feel so pressured. I, I don't want to do this. Listen, that's not the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus is, is no pressure, no manipulation. If, if you have it in your heart to give, then give. If you don't, don't. If God has not touched your heart, then, then, then your hands might not be open. The kingdom of God is not, is not about a pressure to conform or you will be cursed. No, no, no. No cursing, blessing, God, grace, good God. He loves you and, and he wants to touch you in your heart. And open your hands. I'm not saying that every time you give, you're going to have these awesome, warm, fuzzy feelings inside. Like, I just love to give all of my money. This is just awesome. No, 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 that's fake, and that's not true at all. There are times when I give. There are times that when we give, it's kind of like, oh, gosh, no. Mm, this is nerve-wracking. I don't. 
but it's in my heart. And when I think about it in my head, I'm kind of like, oh, it's too much, too much. But in my heart, I know, God, this is what you've told me to do. And so I'm going to make this decision in my heart because I believe God wants me to do it. And if that's you, if you believe God wants you to do it, then do it. Illogical or not, do it. But if, but if he's not spoken to your heart, then, then listen, this is a real weird thing for a pastor to say, right? If God hasn't touched your heart, don't give. Don't give because you're trying to think you're earning something from God because you're not. It's not about earning. It's not about getting God's favor. It's about God touching you in the core of who you are and your hands just opening up because it's like, God, you've given me everything. So all this stuff in light of you, God, it's yours. That's, that's what Paul says. That's how this is supposed to work. Look, look at this. Verse 7 continues going on. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, I thought you just said it wasn't about getting God's faith. It's not. This doesn't mean that God doesn't love everybody. God loves everybody. He even loves the grouch who gives. You know? What, what, what Paul is saying here is that God gets a kick out of people who love to give. It gives God the giggles. It makes God happy. Why does it make God happy? Because, because he's a cheerful giver. Like, he is the first, that is who he is. John 3, 16, for God so thought it was reasonable and thought it was the practical thing to do, it's the only way it's going to work out logically. Not going to happen any other way. For God so figured this was the right thing to do. No. For God so loved. For God's heart was so towards you and me. For God was so moved. For God knew that it would give him so much joy that he gave. Why Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because he is the first cheerful giver. He is the original cheerful giver. He is the OCG. (laughs) It's who he is. He is the cheerful giver. And the core of our message at Vertical Church about generosity is this joy in giving, this love in giving, this idea that our hearts have been touched by God and so our hands are open. Verse 8. Look what God says. Paul says to, God says to Paul, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. When when, when he touches your heart and your hands open up, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is God's promise in his economy, the way God operates. This is his promise. Did you notice the alls? All grace to you. All sufficiency in all things at all times so that you can so that you can abound in every good work when your heart has been touched and your hands have been opened. Maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor Josh, I've got like five thousand dollars in my bank account right now. Are you saying that I'm supposed to give all of that to God and what he's doing? No, I'm not saying that. That's not that's not what I'm saying. But could you? If God asked for it, could you give it? That's all he really cares about. God just wants to know that everything in your life is accessible to him. That you're not holding back 
anything. And if he asks you for it, God, it's yours already. It's yours. Back in the Old Testament, a guy named Abram was waiting and waiting and waiting for a son. Waiting and waiting. And God, God said, I'm going, to give him, I'm going to give you this boy. And when are you going to do this, God? And finally, God gives him a son. And then one day, God says, Abram, I want you to take your son up on the mountain. I want you to give him back to me. Abram says, okay, God, let's do it. So he grabs his boy. The scripture says he gets up early that morning. This morning I would have slept in. <laughs> Abram gets up early, grabs his son. Let's go. We're going to the top of the mountain. They start climbing. They get there. And he's ready to do it. He's ready because he, he's so convinced that, that God, you, you gave him to me. And, and, and you're able to resurrect him. or well, Everything I have is yours. And God says, stop, 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 Abram. I just, I just wanted to know that I have everything in your heart. You don't have to give your boy. I'm going to give my boy. It's not about that. I just wanted to know that I have all of you. And so because I have all of you, Abram, I'm going to make you the dad of everybody. I'm going to make you the dad of everybody that believes. Listen, that's all God cares about. He just wants to know that there's nothing that you're holding on to for yourself that God doesn't have access to. He wants it. All access. And when we jump in and we say, God, it's all yours. I don't, I don't care in light of you, this stuff. God, it's yours. Do whatever you want with it. Paul says, God will make all grace abound to you. Hallelujah. Having everything, all things, in, in all sufficiency, in all things, at all times, you may do what? You may do what? The thing that is most important. The purpose that you've been created for. The good work that has been prepared for you before the creation and foundation of the earth. You know what God does not want the theme of your life to be? Money, bills, paychecks, retirement plans, portfolios. You want to know what God wants the theme of your life to be? He wants it to be Him and His love and His mission and the purpose that He has for your life. And when you open your hands because your heart has been touched, you discover that everything you need to do the thing he has called you to do, he will supply. And he will make all grace abound to you. He wants the theme of your life to be mission, not money, so that you can do the good work that he's laid out for you to do. Telling people that there's a good God who loves people who are bad. That's what our life is supposed to be about, the mission of God. And that's what God wants for us. Not so, so our lives do not center around earning and around spending and saving and investing. But we understand sowing and planting. And when we make our life not about our money, but we make our life about planting it into the mission of God. And we see something supernatural take place. Paul says, if you sow, you will reap. But don't be limited in your thinking about sowing. Sowing money and reaping money. Because when you sow money, when you plant money, you'll reap peace. And when you sow money, you'll reap trust in God. And when you sow financially, you'll reap confidence. And when you sow financially, you'll reap every good work that He has already laid out for you. And when you sow financially, you'll see changed lives in front of you. And you'll know, I put it in the ground. That's what grew. That's awesome. Walt Disney. Walt Disney, right? Everybody loves Walt Disney. Walt Disney's got like 50 million quotes. Walt Disney is a guy who got this. 
He understood this idea that our money is not about our money, but it's about something bigger. Look at this quote with me. He said, I don't make pictures just to make more money or just to make money. I make money to make more pictures. He got it. My life is not about making money. My life is about making pictures. And so I'll make more money so I can make more pictures. My passion isn't money. My passion is the movies that we're producing. My passion is to fund the mission of God, to make more money so that I can fund the mission of God. And I'll make some more money so that I can fund the mission of God so that we can do what's most important in the world. Telling people about Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Paul goes on to say, he says, As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Check this out. Verse 10, this is awesome. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply, and and, and what does it say? He'll supply and multiply your seed. For what? For what? For what? More sowing. He, He will supply, he supplies the seed to sow, and then when you sow it, he supplies more so that you can sow it again. And then, and then when you sow that, you go back and say, God, I need some more seed. Okay, God, all right, let's plant that in the ground too. It's like an assembly line. We receive, God, I'd really like to hold on to this, but nope, I'm just going to plant it in the ground. And whoa, you, oh gosh, you want, okay, God, I'll, oh, it's all yours, Jesus. Oh, whoa, can, can I get some help here? This is a big one, God. It's yours. And he says, he says, this just keeps happening over and over and over. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. It's like an assembly line. It just keeps going. You're, you're enriched so you can be generous. And then you go back for a little bit more and you see how that works. It's just like, it's just like we just touch it as it goes by. You know, it's just, let's just keep it coming. God. My, my pastor in West Virginia used to say this thing. He said, when God can find a man or a woman that he can trust with money, he'll just keep it coming. Because he can trust them. So can he trust you? Can he trust you that you'll get in the assembly line and you're like, God, this is awesome. This is great. Thank you for letting me touch it. Let me send it on by. God, oh, okay. Another one. All right. Let's plant that one too. There we go. There we go. Let's, let's put it in the ground. This is how God, this is how God works. At the end of our lives, when we stand before God, we're not going to care about how much money we made. We're, we're not going to, when we stand before God and we recall and remember everything that he has done, it's not going to be about what we kept for ourselves, but what we gave away and what we planted and what we sowed away. We're not going to care about the cars and the square footage and the 401k. Those are good things, but they're not what we were going to remember when we stand before God. When we stand before him, we're going to be, we're, we're going to be amazed at the impact what we gave. And Paul says at the end of verse 11, he says, when when you're enriched in every way to be generous in every way, through you it produces thanksgiving to God. Think about that. The way you handle your money can make people give glory to God. Well, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they just keep going. They give so much. How does it happen? God just keeps on supplying more. Well, thanks be to God. The way you handle your finances can bring thanksgiving to God. That's 
why we said when we take up the offering, hey, we're not stopping worship. We're just continuing it. Because the way we handle our generosity can bring thanksgiving to God. Look what Paul says. Jump down with me to verse 15 in chapter 9. Here's how Paul ends his thought. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. If you've read Paul a lot, there's this thing that happens. He gets so jacked up on an idea that he like he 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 almost like pauses for a second his thought and says, "Hold on, I just got to praise Jesus for a second. This is just awesome. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this letter? I just got to pause and give God some glory." So I'm, this is not going to make him. There are there are parts in Paul's writings where he's not making a lick of sense with what he's actually been talking about. It's because he's gotten so caught up in what he's writing about that he's just like, I just got to stop for a second because because talking about your gift reminds me of his gift. And every time that that, 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 that we give, it's a reminder that he gave and I've just got to stop for a second and say, thank you, God, for your inexpressible gift. Think about that. Your gift, your giving, your generosity makes other people think about God's generosity. That there is a good God who gave everything for me. Your, 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 your money can praise God. Your money can preach the gospel. The way you handle your finances can make people go, Oh, I remember this story about a God who gave everything for us. Like they're giving everything for them. And whoa, this is a picture of the gospel. You can preach with your giving. Make your money preach for you. What's better than that? Make make no mistake about it, man. I hope you make more money and more money and more money than you can know what to do with. So that you can be more generous can reach more people and God can receive more glory and the things we'll do for this city can you imagine a day where where where, where the people of God grab hold of this idea that man when we sow the seed God just supplies more seed and he multiplies it and we just keep it right on trucking when the churches stand up and say you know what all those people that can't afford health care, don't worry about them. We got it. We're good. We got this. You know what? You know what? How, you know how that park is in disarray in that neighborhood that's run down? Don't worry. Don't, don't, I know you're, you're, you're collecting our taxes, man, and that's good, but we got this. God's blessed us. We just want to, we just want to gift our neighborhood with this park. We, we know you need, we know you're spending all of your money just trying to resource your classroom so our kids can learn. So you know what? We as a church, we have received seed from God. We're going to plant it. We got you. You're good. You don't have to buy anything this year. We're just going to take care of it for you. Can you imagine if we as a church got into an assembly line that looked like that? Where we trusted that God who supplies seed to the sower will multiply the seed that we plant so that we can go back and get more seed to sow more seed. Paul says, don't think about 
earning and saving and spending and investing. That cannot be your fundamental understanding of finances. If it is, then, then all you'll do is worry and stress out and be anxious and fear will destroy your life. But if you can grab hold of the concept of planting and harvesting, sowing and reaping. When you sow, you know God will provide more seed to keep on sowing. All of a sudden, you can live worry-free, anxiety-free. I don't know where it's coming from, but God said that he's going to provide seed to the sower. And I've been sowing, so I'm waiting on the seed. And I can trust it. When you live like that, all of a sudden, fear goes away. Stress, worry, anxiety. Oh, it'll try to creep back up. Trust me, I know. I've been there. I've been where I've been in those places where you don't get paid that week. And it's like, dear God, I don't know what's going to happen and where it's going to come from, but I'm just going to trust you. Yes. I've been sowing, Jesus. God can make all grace abound to you. So that in all sufficiency, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's my prayer for our church. It goes like this. I, I pray that we would be so consumed with the mission of God to point those far from Him to life in Jesus that we will count whatever the cost and pay whatever the price to see salvation sweep our region. It's my prayer for you. My prayer for this church. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives individually and what you're doing in our lives as a church the church that you're shaping us to be, the church that we are and the church that we hope to become. As we wrap up this series, God, we've talked about growing and we've talked about healing and we've talked about serving. We've talked about being passionate. We've talked about being generational. We've talked about today, God, being generous. My prayer, God, is this would not just be a series that in three weeks' time we forget ever happened I pray, Lord, you would take this and that you would touch our hearts and shape us into the kind of people that you would have us be. Today, man, maybe you're sitting there and it's like, you don't know Jesus. You don't profess to be a Christian. You don't claim to have a relationship with him. But today, man, just talking about generosity has somehow reminded you that God gave everything just for you. And so today, you haven't really heard anything I've said because you can't get past that idea. And he's just, he's touching your heart right now. Would you, would you open your hands to him? I'm not trying to manipulate you. I don't want to trick you into accepting Jesus. It's not about that. We don't do that here. But God is touching your heart this morning. Maybe you know him and maybe you've grown, maybe your heart has grown cold. Maybe you, maybe you feel uncaring. Maybe it's like, maybe you haven't talked to Jesus in months and, and you feel like, like you have walked out on him. And today he's touching your heart right now. Would you, would you just let happen what happens naturally and your hands open to him? God, I, I, I receive everything you have for me in this moment. Jesus, I receive everything you have for me. 
grace, acceptance, salvation. If that's you, man, and you want to you accept Jesus this morning, just pray this with me. Uh, you don't have to get the words exactly right. It's not about the words. It's, it's just about what's happening in your heart right now. Just say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. I believe that you are the Savior of the world, that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died and was risen again. coming back one day. I give you my life. I open my hands to you. Take everything I have. I love you, Jesus. Thank you. If you just prayed that prayer, friend, I just want to encourage you, man. God has done something miraculous in your heart and in your life. And today doesn't have to be like a normal day for you. Today can be the of a whole new life, a whole new chapter, a new creation is the way Scripture talks about it. God's done something in you, and you need to celebrate that. Here's what I want you to do real quick, and we're almost finished. Take that same communication card we talked about at the very beginning. On the back of it, there's a little box that just says, send me more information about becoming a follower of Jesus. Check that box, and when you leave today, just drop it off at the VIP area. Make sure you fill out the front, put your name in the comment. We just want to follow up with you. We want to help you take your next step. Because the way we define a Christian walk is that each of us are taking our next step in Jesus. Whatever that step looks like, we want to help you take it. Amen. Amen. Let me pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts this morning. We, we wonder it all to you, God. And as we leave this place, may we take this message of generosity. That you are a God who is the, the, the first cheerful giver. And you gave everything for us. And we receive everything from you. May we take it into our world and tell them God loves them and he's given everything for them. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.